This is the Education Gadfly Show. Hey, they had a new baby. They named it Saint West to go with Northwest. I'm so glad I did not know that. I'm so (laughs) glad that whatever lists feed, RSS feed I'm on didn't include that. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Alyssa Schwenk of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Saint West of Education Reform, Robert oh, Pondicio. Oh, okay. Was Con- that a look of disgust or no, a look no, of utter confusion? I, it was momentary confusion. Okay. And then my um, page six pop culture brain Very kicked good. into gears. Like, Saint, okay, that is North's little brother. I Wow. Right. That's two. And their parents are? Uh, that would be Kanye and Kim. I'm hoping the next one will be named Go. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. St. West, go West. Right. Young man. Exactly. There we go. He'd have to be a young man. He'd be go West, comma, young man. Young man. I like it. Okay. All right. So, well, we are not the best at naming Kim and Kanye's future hypothetical children. They're not the best at naming their their, their children, (laughs) period. I mean, North has grown on me. I'm just going to say that. Really? Kind of, yes. Too cute. Too cute by half. North as a name, I'm happy with. Northwest gets North a little- as a last name. Mm, like Oliver? Uh, maybe the not the best example. Okay. Moving on. Time for Pardon the Cat Fly. <laughs> yes, please. Hurry. Uh, Clara, first question. Robert, you and Checker share a strong opinion about the value of comparability when it comes to interstate achievement measures. Why do you think some of your Fordham colleagues have it wrong when it comes to the importance of these metrics? Some, some of your colleagues? Of my colleagues? I, I think that you, you meant to say one of my colleagues. Oh, um, God. And, and look, I'm, I'm content to be wrong about this. I, I'm not wrong about this. But, but you're content to be but, wrong but about this. But there's a certain other member of the Fordham staff who has an Italian surname ending, uh, starting with a P and ending in the vowel, uh, who insists that uh, the loss of comparability with Common Core is, you know, that would have been, I think he said, nice to have, but not must have. And I could not disagree more strenuously with uh, <laughs> that that other uh, Italian member of the Fordham staff. The other Italian he, member he, with he, a name, name that starts with P, with but Jeff. ends with a, okay. Yeah, he knows who he is. Okay, this and he's is just, getting, he's just wrong. This is getting into Lord Voldemort territory. It kind of is, isn't it? I, yeah. I apologize. Unintentionally. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. Ooh. You said that name. Um, look, to be earnest about this for a second, uh, and and I think I know where Mike and I disagree. If you look at uh, Common Core and testing from a wonk's point of view, then there's certain comparisons you want to make between states, mm-hmm. between districts and whatnot, between large cities, and that's fine. I'm always going to be guilty of looking at this through a practice lens. And, mm-hmm. and to me, the field only advances uh, when you're able to make school-by-school school comparisons, and that is just simply not mm-hmm. really uh, possible mm-hmm. when you have 21 different uh, mm-hmm. Uh, tests out there mm-hmm. under Common Core. Mm-hmm. I've said this before, and and I mean it. I think if, if it were up to me, I would rather have um, 50 different sets of standards and one mm-hmm. test as opposed mm-hmm. to what we have right now. That mm-hmm. kind of invites this sort of dull hum of mediocrity. Right. So you have a blog post out. Mike has a blog post out. And to me, it almost seems like a chicken or an egg thing. There mm-hmm. And also, to me, it surprises me because I would think you'd be the guy that's, you know, curriculum first and Mike would be assessments first. But you guys have kind of flipped on this one. Well, no, I think comparability is a way that you can compare curricular inputs. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, if you've got, you know, three different schools serving the same kind of population across state lines and one is knocking the ball out of the park, one of the things that you want to be able to look at as a researcher is uh, is curriculum. And then if you identify promising curricula, then you want to be able to identify whether that not whether it's being uh, Mm -hmm. implemented well in other cities and states. 
states. And that's just harder to do when when everybody's not taking the same test. Right. I mean, that's definitely true. And that would be true, I think, in a perfect practitioner world, which is the world in which we all aspire to live. But in a world that's as political as the Common Core fight is right now, if it's not really, is it it controversial? We we should take this offline. Okay. We should take this offline. Um, But in a world that is as political as Common Core is right now, if it's a baby in bathwater situation and it was throughout everything throughout the common core or lose the comparability for now comparability for now sure sure ne- ne- what is the expression never make the uh, the perfect the enemy of the good yes. so i mean I, if mike were here i'm sure he would make the point that uh look uh 20 even with 20 different tests uh the the cut scores are are more ambitious uh the the proficiency illusion has mm-hmm. been largely defeated I, I have my doubts about whether or not that's going to hold but sure though mm-hmm. that is a very good thing so we are we are out of the business for now of lying to parents and telling kids that mm-hmm. they're professional when they're not uh, that's terrific but yeah I, I, I would still like to see a little bit more transparency and comparability mm-hmm. your mileage may vary and Mike certainly does hashtag YMMV alright second question Clara high poverty schools have a higher frequency of teacher absences and more substitute teachers in the classroom than their more affluent counterparts how can this affect students learning? So, Robert, you have been a teacher in a high poverty char- charter school. I have been a teacher yeah. in a high pover- poverty charter school. Ours are hard today. Uh, <laughs> what is, <laughs> Not what's a long island where I grew up. There's no letter R. It's only a 25-letter alphabet. So you yeah, should, some you of us are there. from the Midwest. There you go. Where we know how to speak English. Um, look, I don't think this is surprising. And actually, uh, mm-hmm. here's some data that I've, I've searched for fruitlessly. And maybe somebody, one of our listeners, can point this out to me. I'd like to find some, some data on teacher absentees within charters. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unlike you, I had the experience to start my teaching career teaching in a neighborhood school, Mm -hmm. a district, traditional public school in the South Bronx. And yeah, we had uh, some issues there with with teacher absentee. And of course, it can't be Mm -hmm. beneficial, especially the upper grades uh, where it's, uh, you know, more content based. The content is is rich. If you have uh, teachers, whether they're teaching out of position, whether they're substitutes, whether whether, uh, an administrator is pushing in to just Mm -hmm. do a mass prep or whatnot, uh, this can't be good. So mm-hmm. this is just yet another one of those big differences mm-hmm. between affluent schools and poor schools. And guess who gets the short end? Yeah. When I was teaching, we actually, and at my school, I was teaching kindergarten. And so I, by you know law and regulation, had an aid in my classroom because right. I had 25 kids. You needed to have one adult for, I think, every 14 kids. Since we didn't have a full-time substitute, since we were a non-networked charter school, the solution was always just pull the aides out of pre-K and kindergarten and stick them in the fifth grade classroom to watch over the class for the day, which was certainly not something that facilitated learning in the fifth grade classroom or in my classroom. No, that's that's right. There was a story in the Washington Post uh, that points out that teachers in high poverty schools are absent more frequently than teachers Mm -hmm. uh, in more affluent schools. No, no surprise there. But there was one research site, which I'd never heard before, a 2007 study of North Carolina schools found that one quarter, uh, one in four low income middle schools had persistently high teacher uh, absenteeism and in the uh, more affluent middle schools one in 12 mm-hmm. there you go yep all right question three in the midst of accusations that charter schools don't take the hardest to teach kids a new report revealed that charters have lower percentages of students with disabilities compared to traditional public schools are charters failing to serve these students robert i know you have no. thoughts on this next one. question that's it. No, no. I mean, this is this is uh, Hillary Clinton. I think uh, probably put this on the map a little mm-hmm. bit uh, with her 
uh, claim that I, I, I hear she's walked it walked it back somewhat she's since She's stepped then. back a little she bit has. on it. It's okay. been dialed back a little. Okay, a little. Charters I mean, are great in certain circumstances. Good, I think good for her. Um, yeah, the, the disability data, we can talk about that in a second, but it's just kind of silly to say that mm-hmm. charters don't serve uh, the neediest population. Almost by definition, they do. We're talking about, broadly speaking, low-income kids of color. That is, in our country, the mm-hmm. hardest-to-teach demographic, and that's where charters have had the most success. Come on, yeah. Hillary. I mean, I do think that we... In the charter world, one of the biggest issues is comparable funding and making sure that charters have enough, the same amount of funding in the same facilities to do things with kids as district schools. I think that is an area in which it's tough to treat kids with really difficult special needs if you don't have enough funding, if you sure. don't have the right facilities. So I think that is an area where charters could improve, but that's also a larger structural issue. Yep. But this new uh, study that Clara referred to from the National Center of Special Education and Charter Schools uh, showed that uh, charter schools do have a slightly lower percentage of students with disabilities, but they tend to put them in more inclusive settings, mm-hmm. which is which is interesting. Yeah, definitely some interesting trade-offs there. All right. I think that is all the time we have today for Pardon the Gadfly. Up next, Amber's Research Minute. And we're back with Amber's Research Minute. Amber, earlier we were discussing Kim and Kanye. They had a new baby. They named it Saint West to go with Northwest. I'm so glad I did not know that. I'm so (laughs) glad whatever lists feed RSS feed I'm on didn't include that. But now you can't unknow it. Now I can't unknow it. Uh, That's right. Robert's suggestion for the third child is go. Ah, got it. I think would work well. Actually, I think that's a good suggestion for Kim and Kanye, period. Just go. (laughs) Good one. Good luck. Good luck. Not going to happen. All right. On a much more serious and less frivolous note, Amber, we have a pretty cool study up this week for the Research Minute. Want to talk about it? We do. Yay. I'm going to just be plugging our own study. I do this sometimes, but hey, it's my right. It's my privilege. Um, (laughs) It's called America's Best and Worst Cities for School Choice. It profiles 30 American cities against 50 indicators that pertain to choice. People, that's a lot of indicators. 50. No kidding. Most most comprehensive look at choice that's been put together to date. Mind you, we like Brookings, uh, you know, report that's on a very similar uh, topic, Um, but they cover different things. Our report covered a little bit different things than the Brookings Index. Anyway, um, our own research staff, this is Dara Z. Handelar and David Griffith. Yes, I'm going to put a plug in for them as well. Work with Penny Wallstetter at Columbia Teachers College. So we had a rock star team here Um, and they considered three topical buckets. Okay that taken together provide a really multifaceted picture of school choice. Um, and by way, by the way, school choice is charters, vouchers, magnets, like the mm-hmm. whole caboodle. We use like, like a nice, generous definition. Okay. As we look at political support, these are just the insiders in each city that kind of say, okay, do our hev- political heavy hitters actually support choice? Okay. Then we look at the policy environment. So this is stuff like the strength of the state charter law, whether the city's major school district has a policy for closing schools with low, envir- with low enrollments, and how easy is it for parents to apply to the schools of choice. Okay, so all the little policy, political things around. Mm -hmm. And then the quantity and quality of choice, because we know that how much choice and whether it's any good actually matters. So we look at charter market share, but also whether students are allowed to attend schools in nearby districts. And we go further than that and say, okay, if they can, can the district then choose to say no thank you by opting out? Hmm. So okay. we've got some really, like, if you really dig in, we've got some neat little factoids that I don't think other people have presented before. All right, I'll so cut to the chase. Key findings. Superstars. 
Take a guess. <laughs> uh, New Orleans. You're going to get your second and, quiz this week, uh, sir. New Orleans got to be one and mm-hmm. Washington. You got it. Yep. They okay. topped the list. There you go. Not surprisingly, the Not bronze medal goes to. I've I read the rep- New York until two years ago. Mm-hmm. Boston. Nope. No. Listen, knows you can't you, cheat. I <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> go west. <laughs> go west. Um, west, young man. Uh, and up. Nope. Uh, up. Denver. There we go. And we okay. find now. So this is interesting. You already alluded to it. So New York kind of fell to the middle, right? right. Uh, the mediocre middle. We say. Yeah. We're the current administration not exactly choice not friendly. Exactly no. Choice friendly. Right. We'll talk about that a little bit in the report. At the very bottom are Albany and Pittsburgh. No surprises. Albany. Wow. There, yeah. Okay. But, you know, the curveball, we talk about this a little bit in the report, is Atlanta. Mm. We, Atlanta gets a lot of bad press with the notorious cheating scandal. Absolutely. But, um, they got a ninth, ninth rank for choice friendliness, which okay. was kind of cool. So I dug in just for the minute on that. Um, they actually place no restrictions on the number of charter schools in the state, so no caps. Okay. They grant charters the right of first refusal to surplus district facilities, so they get a chance oh, at those school buildings, which is big. huge. And they get high marks for business and philanthropic support and funding for charter authorizers and their willingness to sc- close schools with low enrollment. There we go. The sure. Sleeper yeah. of the group. They don't come up on the short list when you think, at least for me, now they will, but they, they were not uh, what I would have thought of as a choice friendly city. I didn't right. think of them as not choice That's friendly. Right. I just didn't think of them, frankly. A um, couple more factoids. More than half of charters, speaking of, are located in district facilities in six cities. So which six cities do you think allow charters to locate in district facilities oh well, clearly new york is yes. the the uh, the, the leader in co-location that's for good right. or for ill well that's a great question i, I don't really know the answer to that um, i honestly Melissa? thought that was more of a new york thing oh gosh on the spot uh, los angeles um nope you okay. got to think of cities that have limited geographical area oh so that's the opposite of los angeles the ones so that have already boston high, washington uh, New Orleans. Okay, mm. sure, of course. Denver mm. are ones that are already scoring high. Tulsa. Really? Huh. All right. That was another kind of okay. interesting little one. Um, anyway, there's a ton of good stuff in here, people. It's a hundred. Right, it's 180 pages. But hey, wait. Let's talk about the bad guys. Detailed. Okay, I will. Detailed <laughs> information on each. Okay. okay. Um, bad guys. Yeah, let's Austin, spank some bad guys. Okay, Pittsburgh. D minus Pittsburgh. Ouch. Austin. D minus. Huh. Albany. F. See, Austin is F. a bad choice city, and they founded Whole yes. Foods. That's it. I'm done but, with um, you, Austin. Apparently, Mike wants me to. He's micromanaging my research from afar. <laughs> apparently, he wanted me to make sure to mention the top spots again: New Orleans, Washington D.C., Denver, and Indianapolis. There All you right. Go. And All right. who's number five for number, our hometown plug? Number five, Columbus. Yeah, Columbus, Ohio. We love us some Ohio. We do. We do. Mm-hmm. We do. Um, and then, of course, we got to tell you what recommendations. I, I realize this is like five minutes, but this is our report. <laughs> and first five okay? min- research minutes. Anyway, research we talk hour. a lot about how you can make choice more friendly for parents, like common applications, give mm-hmm. them access to transportation, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, what okay. I love about this report, and I've been like pouring through it and it's so pretty too like let's just put a plug out for how nice the report it's so pretty um i like design um is how it kind of looks at it's not are they good charter schools are they bad charter schools is it contentious is it not contentious it's like look is this a good environment is this topsoil or is this concrete like what are we kind of giving cities what are cities providing for schools to seed themselves like is this a place where something can flourish or is this a place where you know there's still a lot of silos there's still not a lot of options for parents and families to access so here's my question based on this report and i'm not as familiar with it 
as you are. Uh, if I were a CMO and I was looking to expand, uh, and I didn't want to go into a saturated market, but I wanted to go into an emerging market, what like the the, the 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 choice, the, the the next New Orleans, the next Washington, the up and coming charter city, where would I go? Yeah, mm. I mean, we were actually asked this on a call recently, and we were kind of hinting like, eh, could it be Atlanta? Okay. You know, I mean, I think, as I explained, that was sort of our sleeper site. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think most people think of it, you know, as the place, you know, that would have a choice-friendly climate. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think folks need to zero in on that and, you know, kind of see the, the they're there. I'll put a plug in for Nashville as well. It mm -hmm. seemed to be a bit of a rising star in the report. That's right. It's got a small charter market, but it appears to be growing. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely some um, philanthropic philanthropic easy for you to say um, support uh, as well there so yeah I think that's a, a, also a good suggestion good to know look forward to reading the report yes all Do 180 pages it. oh <laughs> maybe in two sittings alright uh, so thank you Amber for the research minute and that's all the time we have for this week's Education Gadfly Show till next week I'm Robert Pandesio I'm Alyssa Schwenk for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off the Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.